Welcome, everybody, to Connecting the Universe. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker. We have a great interactive class for you this evening, Connecting the Universe, live here Wednesday nights, 8 o'clock p.m. on the Connected Universe portal. Uh, those that are listening in syndication later on during the week, uh, we welcome you to what uh, you are listening to is a uh, podcast, but we invite you to join our live class Wednesday nights at 8 o'clock p.m. Again, ConnectedUniversePortal.com. You can ask your questions. You get the full uh, live presentation with you know all the slides. Sometimes we run video clips. We have the interaction with the class. A lot of, uh, a lot of different things that we do. So tonight we're going to be talking about personal resonance, vibration, and connecting to the universe, or as I put in the title, the invisible universe, because we're really going to be looking at those things tonight that we don't normally see with our own eyes, things that we know that are there that connect us to the rest of the universe and some of this strange activity that happens, but uh, we don't normally see it with our own eyes. So uh, Sarah Yusuf is in the house, Tom McNicholas and Celine. Uh, and is loving the microphone. It has vintagey vibes. Very cute. Uh, yeah, yeah, I like this microphone. I, I got it to record the audiobooks with uh, this past. Well, I started doing that in December. Uh, the Alaska's Mysterious Triangle audiobook, and then the second edition of A Walk in the Shadows. I finally got that recorded a year later. Uh, so for those that already own that on audio, by the way, and um, Tom, I know you do, all you have to do is actually remove that, the first edition from your device, re-download it, you'll get all the new files. And uh, so those that already own the first edition, you don't have to repurchase the second edition, you'll get it. So, and there's, uh, and there's Sean as well. Fantastic, great to see you down there. Okay, so our class question for this evening, come on, pop up. Working a little slow on me tonight, okay. So if we could get a glimpse of the part of the universe we don't usually see with our eyes, what do you think we'd find? So one of those questions of what is around us that we don't see with our own eyes? What's out there? So Tom responded with, I think we can see historical figures from our past. We can also see ourselves grow up again and revisit significant times in our lives. That would be really interesting. So not only seeing historic figures that may be around us at all times, but actually you have a uh, an idea of time travel in there as well. And so we will get a little bit into uh, time travel later on uh, in this class because I, well, you guys know my ideas on, on time travel. We won't get into it at the moment, but later on we will. Okay. Uh, Jeanette Kemp stated, uh, many wonderful things, like maybe how we are connected by energy that may look like thin cords or th of, th I'm sorry, thin cords of threads or filaments, possibly time folding, bending, and or overlapping, different dimensions and doorways or portals to them. So many different possibilities. So actually being able to see, you know, string theory play out, you know, the, you know, the strings that are connecting the different fibers uh, of the universe, that sort of thing, uh, which is very, very interesting. Seeing space fold over itself and, and things like that. Uh, and I like the idea of the dimensions and doorways, portals and all that. If you could actually see a portal open up right in front of you and watch the entities walk on through, almost kind of reminds me of, of the matrix. You got a, you know, a back door there 
um, you know, from the courtyard into, you know, the passageway of, of other back doors. Uh, just one way of representing all of that. We will uh, talk very briefly on simulated universe theory here uh, as well this evening. So because this this can really lead us down a lot of different rabbit holes, pun intended for our, our show that's ending uh, edge of the rabbit hole. So uh, let's go ahead and start uh, getting into some of these things. Sarah Yusuf saying uh, not only events of the past, but changes in decision-making as well. So the idea that, uh, you know, one decision that you make creates another reality sort of thing. All right. So, um, We've talked about this before. Why do some people see more apparitions than shadows and other people see more shadows than apparitions? Is it as simple as something like this? A basic spectrum or gradient scale where um, if you place a person uh, within that spectrum somewhere, you know, I, you, you know, person down the hall, whatever, and they would fall somewhere within this scale. To the right, we have the apparitions. To the left, we have the shadows. So if you're on the left-hand side, you see the shadows. If you're on the right-hand side, you see the apparitions. If you're somewhere in the middle. You don't really see either at all. Um, it's really, that's kind of a very definite way of saying things. Um, and I don't necessarily believe it's as simple as that when we get into this idea of you know, people seeing these different forms and entities in all of this. Um, because some people will see them both. Now, I do see more shadows and apparitions, but I do see apparitions too. So it's, if I was to, on this sort of gradient scale, fall within the left-hand side where there are shadows, then I wouldn't see the apparitions and vice versa. Somebody who's seen more apparitions, if you were to just place them on this sort of scale, then they wouldn't be seeing the shadows at all. So I don't think it's as literally black and white as that. Uh, what's fascinating about this universe is that there are many different colors and many different ways of looking at things. So what gives here? You know, if, if I do see primarily shadows, but sometimes apparitions. What is going on here? Why does that happen where it's periodically one rather than the other? And this is when we start getting into vibration, frequency, and all that. So let's go ahead and dive into it. Okay. Visible light spectrum. So this is a uh, representation of the light that we were able to see within our eyes. And we've talked lately here, uh, last couple of weeks about averted vision, where you can see uh, more light out of your periphery. And we talked about this in relation to uh, shadow phenomena. Uh, gets talked about in the Shadow Dimension docuseries. I'm not going to play that clip again. I've given that to you guys here a couple of times here recently. Uh, stargazers use it to be able to see celestial objects uh, out of the corner of their eyes a little bit better but it's really only a small piece of what's going on around us so the the bottom bar here is a visible light that we see with our eyes to the uh, left is ultraviolet to the right is infrared neither one of those spectrums can we see into um, some people say that we do see slightly into the infrared out of our periphery so we take in a little more light over there um, 
but straight on, of course, we're not going to see that. And we have other devices that uh, that we use to be able to see into some of these other spectrums. But there are other things going on here, if you look at the top bar, that we certainly are not seeing. We're not seeing microwaves. We're not seeing radar, radio. Uh, we're not seeing X-rays or gamma rays. Cosmic rays, what is interesting, uh, you do hear some reports of astronauts getting a quick glimpse of some sort of cosmic ray while they're up there uh, in space and like looking out the window. And it it basically blinds them and damages their eye. They'll get that quick flash and they're like, oh my gosh, what was that? And some of them will come back down when they get the eye test. They have actually received some for, some sort of damage to their eyes. So the, the rays that are coming uh, off of these different wavelengths uh, can be harmful to, to human beings. And we don't normally see them with our own eyes. But again, there's a there's an instance there where sometimes we do. And why is that? What is the anomalous thing that's happening where we get a quick glimpse of that? So yeah, any of these, okay, we do not normally see them. But there are times where we do get some sort of inkling that they're there. Now, many of these we can, uh, because you might be receiving some high EMF, you might actually be able to feel it near you. Other times, and I don't know if, if any of you uh, down there in the chat have experienced this. There are times where my vision gets a little more crisp. Now, my vision is typically terrible. Uh, I'm wearing contacts right now. I have 2,500 vision. Horrible, horrible vision. But there are times where, and I don't know why it is, that all of a sudden um, my, my eyes will get crisp or my sight will get crisp more than usual. Um, and it's, it's like somebody you know, turned the focus dial on my eyes and I'm able to see a little bit better, a little bit more. Um, this will happen sometimes when uh, something very thought-provoking has struck me. All of a sudden, there's like a sense of clarity sort of thing. But there are times where I'll focus in on something. And all of a sudden, I do start seeing some of the wavelengths uh, in, in the room, in the environment, which is really kind of weird. It almost looks like um, a bit of a, of a heat wave, you know, that kind of effect. Uh, which is really unusual. If anybody else has had that sort of experience, yeah, throw it down there in the chat. I'd be interested uh, to, to hear if you guys have, have had that. Um, so uh, let's see. It has And Sarah's asking, has emotional state played a role during those events? That's what I was saying, kind of like that it's sometimes, not every time, but sometimes there's a sudden sense of clarity. You know, when... Uh, like the first time that I watched the movie The Matrix and I walked away from that, like totally mind blown, um, everything within my vision was suddenly much more crisp. So I don't want to go down that rabbit hole too much. I'm just, the, the example is uh, to show you that uh, usually with our eyes, we only see within a certain spectrum, but there's so much more out there all these different types of wavelengths and signals and things that are happening around us that is outside of our field of vision, which is why, you know, we say a lot of times in this field, there's, you know, there are things going on around us 
that we cannot see with our own eyes. That if you were to lift that veil, you would see uh, so much more that's going on. So, you know, I like, uh, you know, when we talk about that veil, Tom talking about, um, you know, historical figures from our past and things like this. I like Jeanette's idea of, uh, you know, you lift that veil and you you can see the connections in these strings and energy and, and all that. Um, you know, fascinating, fascinating ideas. So something that's kind of interesting is our word specter that we use, kind of an archaic term these days, but um, a term that we would usually use for like ghosts. Um, specter is actually derived from the word spectrum. And we were just looking at the visible light spectrum. Uh, so there had been some previous notion about witnessing these entities on some different frequency of light, that there is something going on here with light, with wavelengths, with energy that was different. And so seeing these things on a different spectrum, we get the word specter. And in many cases, of course, they would come across as as white in nature, you know, your kind of your classic ghost. You know, I kind of wonder though, you know, a lot of times we'll see um, or people will witness you know, the woman in the Victorian dress sort of thing. In the Victorian era, what did they witness as a ghost? <laughs> you do hear reports of like the woman in white and things like that. Um, but what was it that they actually, uh, you know, like they're older ghosts. You know, what did they see? What did they witness? So, okay. So we dive down this rabbit hole. Uh, in the paranormal supernatural field, we'd like to use uh, the term vibration during our investigations and our research, uh, which is a, a very accurate statement when we're talking about, um, you know, those things that we can't see with our, our own eyes, yet, you know, something's going on in this room or this environment. Um, that we can sense, that we can feel, that is interacting with our world, even though we can't see it. And we use that that term vibration. And we've mentioned here a couple times lately about vibration and that, yeah, everything is vibrating to, to some degree. Uh, you Any object around you right now, uh, even though it seems solid, it really isn't. Every, every little atom within that object is actually vibrating. Uh, so if you were to, theoretically, if you were to find that correct frequency, you could pass through it. We haven't really figured that out yet. <laughs> um, but the human beings, you guys have seen this uh, image from me before. This is the toroidal field of energy uh, that surrounds every person. We each have this uh, going on. So frequency, just by definition, is the number of vibrations per second. So uh, we were talking before about atoms vibrating. We are vibrating. Humans are vibrating. And so the number of vibrations per second, that is the frequency. So when we use the term resonance, um, that is a phenomenon in which an external force or a vibrating system forces another system around it to vibrate with greater amplitude at a specified frequency of operation. So um, that's 
kind of by definition, but basically um, the resonance is, uh, you know, one, one object is vibrating and it's basically vibrating another object and you get that amplitude coming off of it. And so that's the resonance. So when we talk like a, a personal resonance, that is that uh, frequency and vibration that is emanating off of you. And I've used this illustration before. Tom, you're there. <laughs> uh, when I've talked about the girl at Mineral Springs, that we each saw her a little bit differently. And what I always say about that is we each have our own personal resonance, our own personal vibration, and she has her own. So if I'm resonating at a certain frequency, if I'm giving off a certain vibration um, and it's interacting with her because I have a different resonance, a different vibration than, say, Tom down there, who was, who was there at that time, then we're going to get a different reaction from her. So again, we saw her a little bit differently. I saw her fully formed from the head on down to her about her knees. Others that were there, like Nick Moulet, um, he saw her fully formed from her feet on up and she started dissipating at her head. And so each, each saw her a little bit differently because of this phenomena of resonance and vibration. So the uh, the human body uh, has an overall range of resonant frequencies found to be from about six, or I'm sorry, from nine to 16 hertz. That's independent of mass height uh, and mass to height ratio. So you know, given that everybody is a different size, different weight, you know, all of that, um, all those are going to play into those sort of factors. So I guess then the question with that becomes, if you grow, I suppose as you get older, you might shrink, uh, or gain weight or lose weight, how does that affect your personal resonance and vibration? So if you were to walk into uh, you know, a haunted building know, when you're 20, are you going to interact with or see different things than when you're 40 because your body may have changed over time? Possibly, possibly. But I also believe that um, when you interact consistently with specific objects, that you, be, you can become in tune to some of those objects or beings because your energy recognizes that other energy and you become in tune to it. And we'll see this here in a moment with, with some uh, examples from the Heart Math Institute. So I'll just go ahead and I'll bring that up here in a second. Uh, I see you guys have a number of comments down here. So I'm going to uh, take a look. See, Alina has joined us as well as Mary. That's great. Um, and so, yeah, Alina says, if the veil was suddenly lifted for everyone, imagine how people would start freaking out. Probably, there because there would be a lot of unusual things that uh, that we would start seeing for sure. Um, and Sarah, most cultures around the world acknowledge there's a realm of the unseen, pretty significant considering the different sources. Exactly, and that's something that I bring up with um, 
with a walk in the shadows when it comes to the the shadow entities that you know all these cultures from all over the world who were not supposed to have had contact with each other for thousands of years all reported the same phenomenon um you know they used that in ancient aliens to a degree you know to kind of go down or you know these extraterrestrials that are visiting these other cultures and, and what have you they could be interdimensional beings that are visiting you know these other cultures um and, that, and that's entirely possible you know that they're all witnessing the same phenomenon you know when they had no contact with each other so they're not getting the stories from each other they're all witnessing the same thing um and then tom i bet with newer technology we can tap into our minds we could use it to manipulate uh our interpretation i you know, it, it's interesting, um, and and I saw that Sarah had mentioned the uh, you know the the photon device that um, that Brandon Elvis mentioned last night when we had him on the edge of the rabbit hole. That yeah, we do have newer technology that's that's being developed, that's coming out, that could help us in this type of research, and we're going to get into you know a little bit of scientific research here as well, and and what people are starting to discover. And it's, and it's interesting to me because uh, some of this science that's kind of quote unquote being discovered are things that we've been talking about on a more esoteric, metaphysical, spiritual level for millennia. And they're just now saying, oh, look at what the science is showing us. It's like, um, yeah, <laughs> we've been talking about this. So, all right. So some information here from the Heart Math Institute. And I, I posted a link to the, uh, it, it's an online book. It's a freebie. You can get there on their website. And I've posted a link to it before in the uh, in the group. So definitely go check it out if you have not yet. So, but this is one of their studies. And, um, you know, their, their work is something that I use to uh, illustrate how we sense a person's presence and how we can sense another entity's presence around us. When, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night and there's a, a shadow entity in the room, but what woke you up, you know, was feeling the presence. And I always use the example of my son, Cameron, you know, walks into the middle of, into the room in the middle of the night. This is when he was younger. He's 20 years old now. Um, he walks into the room in the middle of the night, had a bad dream, needs to use the bathroom, whatever it is. Uh, but doesn't tap me or, or shake me awake. He just stands there and looks and stares at me. Um, there were plenty of times I'd wake up and go, oh my God, Cameron, what are you doing? And he'd tell me whatever it was and we'd go off and take care of it. But what was it that woke me? And it was his energy, his presence. I could, that toroidal field, this, this image that we've been showing, uh, the toroidal field of energy around him and around me, my own, entering or his his own entering my own and then i could i could feel that energy kind of invade my space when you know, we talk about you know you're in my space it's exactly what we're talking about here you know it's, it's not just a, a phrase you can feel when somebody's too close to you um another aspect of all this um is getting in sync with somebody so this here is basically showing us um, data from two subjects that were seated and facing one another at a distance of about five feet. They had no physical contact with each other, yet they had this heart-brain synchronization between the two of them. And so what we're looking at here um, is 
data off of a uh, a squid-based magnetometer, which basically this is a uh, the squid stands for superconducting quantum interface device. It's a very sensitive magnetometer used to measure extremely subtle magnetic fields. So, you know, it's it's basically a real upscale EMF detector, right? But at the at the quantum level. And this is basically showing us that um, there's a magnetic component of that energy field around is produced by uh, the heart that naturally radiates outside the body. And it can be detected several feet away with, uh, with these different devices. And so we're seeing here uh, that it reveals the occurrence of an alpha wave synchronization in the EEG of one subject that is precisely timed to the R wave of the other subjects ECG. So this is, you know, two different, this is two different people, um, humans, syncing up with each other. And they have a lot of interesting examples there. So that's people that um, haven't even touched each other. They're sitting near each other um, and, and they're syncing up. They have another example of people holding hands and how that looks. They also show it with, um, you know, people and their dogs. There's actually an example in there of a woman and her horse and, and they're syncing up uh, really, really fascinating. So I think what's happening here in a number of these cases where um, you're routinely seeing the same type of phenomenon that we're becoming in sync and recognizing you know, that energy in, in syncing up with it. And so we're able to see uh, a lot more of it. So another interesting aspect here, if we get into science, let me actually, let me check some of your comments here because you got quite a few here again. So, um, and, and Mary's saying, yeah, sometimes I feel something pressing to rub in my back at night and nobody is in my room. Um, yeah, that, you know, that's interesting when you get those feelings and sensations and it does make you wonder, okay, is there, you know, that almost seems like a, you know, very loving and kind gesture. Is there, um, you know, is there a deceased loved one who's trying to relax you? Uh, those are, those are definitely interesting uh, moments. Um, and there's Connie. Hi, Connie. Uh, my dog constantly puts her head to my forehead. I'm the only one she does that to. So yeah, there's, there's some sort of connection there that, that you're having uh, with your dog. And uh, in those moments, basically the two of you, your energy is, is syncing up in those moments. It's, uh, it, it's fantastic. And then Jeanette, <laughs> this is common. Uh, yeah, get a bunch of girls living together and their cycles sync up to the same time. Yeah, that is very, very common where you get a you know, bunch of girls or women together uh, in, in a living situation in their cycles will certainly sync up. It's, it's one of those fascinating uh, things about our universe. Um, and then, uh, yeah, Sarah, when facing another person, they may try to meet the breathing of the other, which is behavioral. Uh, yeah, and that happens too. And, you know, where you sync up the breathing together. I've, I've noticed that um, kind of even like more intimate moments where, where you're cuddling together or spooning or something like that. And, you know, you try to, to sync up. So there's something, um, and, and yeah, that would be more behavioral in nature where, you know, when it's just your internal energy, that's, it's not even like a subconscious thing. That's just, um, you know, that's just the uh, vibrational energy of your body. But there's something about the universe where it will try to sync up with, with itself. You know, again, we're all, 
we're all connected to the universe one way, shape, or form. Uh, so you get these things in close enough proximity to each other, and it will try to sink. It will try to get onto that same wavelength. And that's, I think that's almost why we kind of use that term. Uh, you know, we're on the same wavelength together. Because you know, that's actually really what it is. You know, that's, that's what's happening here. You are literally getting on, boom, the, the same wavelength. Uh, kind of fascinating to really think about there. Let me unclick that. Um, all right. So let's move on to another uh, thing that popped up here. You guys may have seen me uh, toss this. And I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, too. You may have seen me toss the article up on my uh, Facebook. Um, but scientists are now looking at Earth consciousness, where they're actually looking at a planetary intelligence, uh, the, the cognitive ability of the entire planet. So I, I like the illustration here of the the Earth as a as a giant brain that the uh, the entire planet is developing its or not is developing but has its own consciousness. Um, you know, we've to to me the science. This is one of those cases where the scientists are a little slow on the uptake uh, because you look at ancient religions, ancient cultures, and this is something that they've, they've been talking about for a while. You know, when we talk about like Mother Earth um, or, or being you know connected to nature in that. Uh, you know, nature itself is, is all synced up. And we see a lot of cycles in nature. Um, you know, we see the seasons, you know, we see the ebb and flow of, you know, whether it's, you know, animal life or, you know, the trees or even the water. We see all these cycles and everything is working congruently together. Except for humans, <laughs> which is one of the, which is one of the reasons why it's like, you know, maybe humans really are aliens because we defy we tend to defy everything else that's going on on the planet. Um, you know, we're very different creatures by nature anyways. Like, you know, we, what other creature wears clothes? You know, what other creature cooks their food? <laughs> they don't. We do. Um, the others are running around, you know, naked. I mean, they may have fur. But they're basically running around naked, eating everything raw, right? <laughs> you know, they, even if it's another animal, it's just, you know, there you go. Um, so we're very, very different than the rest of our environment. So even though, um, humans can, you know, commune with nature, um, you know, many, many people have, have shown a great propensity to be able to do that, but there's something else within the human nature that also tries to, to go against that, which, you know, makes you wonder, okay. Why is that? We're not going to dive into that question specifically. I kind of uh, yeah, threw a few things out there in regards to that. Uh, a couple other comments here. Um, yeah, Tom, like the, the moons affecting the tides on Earth. Um, yeah, all those things come into play. The, the moon actually has a great effect on people, too. It's the whole reason why there's the, the word lunatic, because the... Uh, the gravity of the moon plays on your your internal water. So remember, a human is like 98% water when you break it all down. Uh, so if the moon is affecting the other water on the planet, it's going to affect you too. So um, it, it, it's not a joke either. My, my mother worked in uh, the school system for decades. And, you know, 
she wasn't one to really look at you know moon charts or whatever, but she always knew when there was gonna be a full moon because the kids were going crazy in the classroom. <laughs> um, and yeah, Sarah, I agree with that. If the earth has its own consciousness, it's probably not a happy camper. I would imagine not. Probably is not. And, uh, and that can happen too, Alina, feeling drained when you're around people for too long. Yeah, because there are, um, you know, and, and that's interesting when, when you talk about energy from one person to another. Like there's people you instantly click with, right? And there's other people that you just, you know, have a hard time with, or there's people that, you know, uh, that drain you. And that's just, you know, because we each have goes, you know, going back to that, you know, frequency and vibration, everybody's a little bit different. And so, um, so that's where all that comes into play. So another interesting, uh, article I posted here recently, um, this is the, this is the bigger breakdown. I, when I posted it on uh, Facebook, it was kind of more of the uh, the summary, uh, but this is the actual uh, abstract. So some scientists are now finally admitting consciousness. Uh, and their take is the human brain is a biological computer. And the human consciousness is just a software program activated by the quote-unquote bio-quantum computer inside the brain. And also, it continues to exist even after death. So that after people die, the soul returns to the cosmos. It does not die. Now, wait a second here. Again, um, a little slow on the uptake here you know scientists are all hey we got a breakthrough revelation here um consciousness exists and uh when you die you don't really die your soul goes off to the cosmos what what <laughs> how many thousands and thousands and thousands of years have humans been talking about this very thing but because it was done so on a spiritual level um you know pick a god but uh you know or, or a religion, and when the soul, you know, passed on, it went off to, like, the, like take the Egyptians, uh, the, the soul, well, they had seven different parts of the soul, uh, two of them stayed here on earth, for the one for a while, the one forever, uh, and the other five went off to the constellation of Orion, you know, the, thousands of years ago, and now scientists are like, oh, yeah, um, breakthrough, come on, just because, <laughs> sorry, it cracks me up. Um, but because they have a, a term that they're going to throw around with it, and this is microtubule quantum vibrations, going right back to vibrations again. So um, I posted this on my Facebook. I don't think I posted it in the uh, Connected Universe uh, portal area. So I'll go ahead and do that, make sure you guys get it. And I'll do that with the other one too, because I don't think... I know I'd put it on my personal Facebook, but uh, I'll make sure to put that in the group. But yeah, it just, it cracks me up. Uh, but the point is here is that uh, they are talking about, again, uh, the, these microtubule vibrations that are in the brain that they're basically saying the consciousness um, is not inherently just a part of the brain, that um, it is software that's running in a program here and it goes on to... Uh, the cosmos later on. So you could take that any a number of different ways. 
you know, uh, you could you could take that as a heaven uh, or a kind of quote unquote homeworld. In if you believe in reincarnation, going up to that homeworld wherever it is and coming back down here uh, later on. It also kind of leads into the whole idea of like the Akashic records and the idea that um, that our lives, multiple lives, uh, you know, are written down in this book out there in the cosmos and that we we can have access to that that it is actually accessible to us and there's also the idea that you know our consciousness is not actually here within the body and this kind of lends to that a bit as well that our consciousness is not actually here in the body that it's out there wherever there is whether that's heaven or the home world or wherever the Akashic records are stored or whatever that is, whatever that location is, that our consciousness is there. Maybe we're in a chair jacked into the matrix. And our body is a receiver of that information, of that data, of that stream. You know, it could be, you know, a wireless connection, right? And I'm receiving you know, that wireless information from there to here, and I'm processing it and um, I'm carrying out my life. And some people will take this to the degree of our real body, our real consciousness may even have several of these programs running or people running that, you know, uh, the idea that I up there am running a life here as Mike Ricksecker, but also in another universe out there uh, could be running another program uh, as, a, as another person, as a you know extraterrestrial or alien life form on another planet somewhere else um, or in a parallel universe, maybe as Mike, but running a different kind of life rather than what I'm running now. And some people have reported uh, like near-death experiencers have reported um, that's some, not all. They all seem to have different uh, stories from these experiences. Uh, but some have reported that uh, when they've had their near-death experience and they've seen and interacted with family members uh, or or friends, and they're all you know having the group party or whatever, that some of them are a little checked out, that they're not fully there. And I guess. In these cases, what's going on is part of that person's consciousness is there in that home world, but they still have other pieces of their consciousness, consciousness, other lives that they're carrying out in other worlds and other universes. And so it takes energy to do that. It takes, you know, you have to expend all of this. And so they're there, but not quite because they're busy doing uh other things so kind of take your computer when you get a lot of programs running at the same time sometimes it starts to slow down so it's that kind of idea there you go ahead and check your comments here again um yeah tom and now tom says about the cremation process um i i i still don't know how i feel about all of that i'm trying to live until i'm 126 so i Try not to worry about it for uh, for a long time now. Um, 
Yeah, this is interesting from, from Jeanette. Uh, when I worked as a phone operator, there were increases in calls. And when I worked in the hospital, there were increases in patients, births, and psychosis on full moons. Yeah, there it is legitimately a thing. Absolutely. Um, Sarah asking, would the resonance frequency of those microtubules be a clue in how we may perceive alternate dimensions? Um, yeah, it, it very well could. It's... Um, you know, if you were to alter that vibration, um, you would get different, I mean, you would get different ideas. You would get different uh, views. I mean, people do this when they like, use an ayahuasca or something like that. They actually use that as an example on the Shadow Dimension episode. Um, and I'm not saying I recommend it or uh, it, I, I'm not... Uh, uh, condoning hallucinogenics, but <laughs> when people do use uh, things like that, uh, it changes uh, you know, what's going on with the uh, with the processes in in the brain, which is a lot of uh, electricity, a lot of vibrations. Uh, so yes, it would have an effect. Again, I'm not condoning it. Uh, all right. So, let's Sarah. Uh, our reality sometimes theorizes being everything all at once. It could mean that it, there is uh, no need to actual travel. So that would indicate movement of space, which is a different dimension. Um, yeah, and see, that's... In talking about these subjects and kind of theorizing different things, because you know, I talk about the stack time theory. You know, everything happening, everything past, present, future happening at the same time. And sometimes when things resonate at the same frequency, we get a glimpse of that. I'm going to actually, uh, I'm going to roll into that here in a few minutes. We got uh, a little more than 15 minutes left in the in the class. Um, so, given that, if I also believe in reincarnation, how does that work? Yeah, because uh, where does that leave for an opportunity to go off to that home world, come back, all of that? Um, also, what I be able to interact with a past life of mine since it's all happening concurrently. I mean, it's none of this is really a clean theory. We're always going to have more questions than answers. Uh, things for us to ponder. You know, it's, I, th I think what's fascinating about all of these topics is we get a glimpse of the possibilities of the universe. I don't think we're ever going to fully understand it. Maybe we'll get some better ideas, you know, when we when we pass on, we get back to that home world or wherever it is that we go. Um, no hurry to get there. But, um, yeah, it's the theories that we come up with, I think, give us a little glimpse as to how powerful the universe really is and how I, I think it's greater than any of these ideas that that we've come up with so far. But just the ideas that we've come up with now, today, you, know, you look at some of our science fiction, it's, it's unbelievable, some of these different possibilities that are out there. And so if that's just like a piece of what's really going on, then, then I'm in. <laughs> you know, it's fascinating, fascinating stuff. Okay, so... 
resonance vibration. We're talking about, uh, you know, interacting with microtubule quantum vibrations within the mind. I think the ancients had a really, they definitely had a different viewpoint of how the universe worked. But I think they were more in tune with some of these different ideas because we see, it, we we have talked about uh, stone circles here a lot lately. And I'm going to go back to it here real quick that uh, they they knew something deep about the universe, something profound that they created things like uh, the stone circles, the pyramids, uh, all these different locations that could harness the earth energy for what means. Well, we, we theorize that, you know, could be healing power of the body. It could be entering altered states of consciousness. It could be, uh, you know, powering stargates and portals and things like that. Uh, one of the, uh, you know, that's Stonehenge, of course. So one of the fascinating ones is the Royal Wright Stones because there, there's been scientific studies done there. And I've, you guys have seen me talk about Royal Wright Stones before, but uh, magnetometer surveys of the site revealed a band of magnetic force is attracted into the stone circle through a narrow gap. You can see it illustrated there on the right through this narrow gap of stones that basically act as an entrance. And then that band of energy spirals around toward the center of the circle, uh, kind of like, <laughs> I love the example, as though it's descending down a rabbit hole. There we go, edge of the rabbit hole, dive right down in. Uh, two of the circle's western stones were also found to pulsate with concentric rings of alternating current resembling ripples in a pond. So the ancients who built this thousands of years ago, and we have no idea who did, uh, they've been there a long, long time. I got into some of the uh, history of that uh, a couple weeks back. But there you see this manipulation of energy using those stones. And the stones today, now these magnetometer readings were taken, I believe it was in the 1990s, if I recall correctly. You look at the stones today and they are weathered and beaten down. Yeah, they, they don't look exactly pretty right now. They're still in their circle. Um, but they're not as prominent as they had once been. And they're still getting these rather significant readings off of them. So imagine thousands of years ago when these things were brand new, the type of readings you could get then. And what would they be using that for? Again, you know, we theorize the altered states of consciousness, healing, stargates, that sort of stuff. Uh, but it was certainly powerful, very, very powerful. I think there was a comment in here. Okay, I, it falsely popped up on me. Uh, so this leads us into ideas of were they possibly using this to help them power you know, a number of different things. Uh, we talk altered states of consciousness, consciousness and things like this. What about astral projecting? Uh, the ability to be able to leave the body in and travel you know was this a way for them to travel across the stars you know one of the things that we've talked about we talked about this i don't think it was actually on the episode but we we at least talked about it off screen when we did the filming for for ancient aliens uh 
the idea that many of these extraterrestrials are not traveling here physically, but they could be just projecting their consciousness here from some other place in the universe. That if you, because it's just one of the challenges of getting out into space is it takes a long time to get anywhere, you know, millions of light years. Who's going to live that long, right? Uh, So you have to develop means and ways in which to traverse the universe uh, that won't take that much time. So, you know, strapping a rocket to your back, not going to work. We talk about Einstein Rosen Bridge using a wormhole, get from one place to another. Cool. If you could bend space and time, I don't know how. I mean, the theory is always if you could bend space and time. Okay, how do you bend space and time? We don't know yet. The other idea is projecting the consciousness. We've talked the entire episode so far about energy, vibration. Uh, We've talked about consciousness, consciousness not actually being uh, a part of the body, but having these other connections to the universe that goes off into the cosmos, Um, that sort of thing. So Nikola Tesla uh, was an astral projector. He, he talked about that quite regularly, that he would have out-of-body experiences and he would also project to different locations. Uh, so this is, this is not crazy. The, these, these things happen. People project. And so if a extraterrestrial race has perfected this, this could be what we're seeing sometimes when we see a shadow person walk into our room or sometimes people report seeing a, a shimmer person or they may actually just see you know, NET, they may, they may come out, you know, fully formed that you're actually seeing, um, you know, this thing sometimes even could look like an apparition could be, you know, we're, we're, again, we're kind of theorizing here. Um, but that would be one way to be able to travel to a location, visit, watch, observe, learn, take notes, uh, of other worlds. And so this is something they could have been using these different stone circles and sites of power for to enhance enhance the personal resonance and vibration to be able to consciously or project the consciousness long distances when we when they talk about um you know visiting different star systems you know you take or you know whether it's uh you know at death, okay, the Egyptians want to go on to the constellation of Orion, you know, to the Sirius stars. The Dogon talk about the Sirius stars in, in their religion. In fact, they knew about Sirius B before we had even discovered it as before astronomers had ever discovered it. It was, it was in their culture. It was in their religious teachings that this other star was back there. And, you know, everybody just thought it was, you know, their legends, their religion, their culture. And then one day we finally got a power powerful enough telescope that it's like, oh, yeah, there, there is another star back there. How do they know about that? Uh, you know, you have a lot of theories that, you know, extraterrestrials came here, told them about the stars, and that became, you know, part of their their culture, could have visited it. Another idea is they could have been projecting consciousness there. Like, you know, we there, there's something about the constellation of Orion and those stars people love. So could be. You know, they, they knew how to project uh, their consciousness. So 
We love those stars. Let's go take a look to see what's out there. And they project out there toward those stars and they discover all these other stars and all these other systems out there. So that could very well, very well be, uh, you know, something that they are, that the ancients used to use these different, whether it's the stone circles um, and what have you. So I, I kind of went down a uh, rabbit hole on that. Um, I did want to, um, we talked a little bit about time travel and, and all that, but, um, but you guys have heard me say many, many times here, I'll throw it up here again, that if we do figure out time travel, it is going to be more of projecting our consciousness somewhere. This is a still from the movie Somewhere in Time where Richard, played by Christopher Reeve, is lying in bed and he actually wills his consciousness into another time in the, in the same hotel, but it goes back many years. Uh, I think it's going to be more like that than flux capacitor or DeLorean. So how do you pick the year? How do you pick the moment? Uh, for him, it was total belief that he was in that year. I think it was 1912. That he was in that year at that time in that hotel. So this is where intention and manifestation comes into play where you want to talk about, you know, like law of attraction or something like that, um, that his intent was that this is who he is and this is where he is. And he was able to project his consciousness back to there. He was able to take his resonance and his vibration and key in on the resonance and vibration of another place in time to put himself there and walk around and interact and, and all of that. Um, absolutely fascinating. Could we really do that? Well, people have witnessed and observed time slips. You know, it happens not necessarily at will. You know, it's kind of accidental. You know, some of these things happen and we don't exactly understand what kicks it off. But there are these connections to these other realms of the universe that we don't normally see and they happen and we get a glimpse and because we get that glimpse it's like we know it's there we know it can happen how do i make it happen on a regular basis and that's the trick that's that's the head scratcher part of it and so with us being connected to the rest of the universe we should be able to access these other places these other moments in time, other planets, other solar systems, other universes, the place where we're from, you know, whether that's the matrix, the, the room that keeps the Akashic records. You know, I think all of these things are absolutely possible. It all comes down to resonance, vibrate, vibration, frequency, energy. So, all right. Um, I think we've got about two minutes left here. If you guys have any, uh, last questions or comments, uh, go ahead and throw them down there in the chat. Uh, do want to say that, um, you know, really appreciate everybody's support throughout, uh, throughout these last few weeks because, you know, edge of the rabbit hole is ending. Other adventures are happening. Uh, and you know, I love having you guys along for the ride. So I hope you guys 
that joined the watch party a couple of weeks ago, enjoyed that. I posted that video up there in the Connected Universe, Universe portal uh, the other day. And that was that was fun watching back through it and uh, remembering our, our chat and our banter. Uh, very, very fun stuff. So uh, for those that are listening in later to the podcast version of this class, please join us out here live Wednesday nights, 8 o'clock p.m., connecteduniverseportal.com. Uh, we always have a great time out here. A lot of uh, fantastic questions and comments, a lot of good banter back and forth. There's there's Anne, uh, another great class. Thank you so much. Appreciate that, Anne. Uh, for those that haven't yet, get Anne's book. Uh, she has a great book that uh, that just came out. So um, And so there's uh, Sarah and Alina. Uh, thank you both so much. And, uh, and everybody else, stay safe. A lot of crazy stuff going on in the world these days, but um, hopefully we'll get through all of this soon and and on to better things. It's kind of that destructive nature of humans that we were talking about earlier. Uh, crazy stuff, but uh, the universe itself is amazing. And I'm glad I'm uh, here exploring it with you guys. So, all right, everybody, have a great night. Till next time, if time really exists. <laughs>